Section 17 of The Pagan Madonna by Harold McGrath. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 17 Cunningham did not answer immediately. From Flint his glance went roving from man to man, as if trying to read what they expected of him. Flint, you were recommended to me for your knowledge of the Sulu lingo. We'll need a crew of divers, and we'll have to pick them up secretly. That's your job. It's your only job outside doing your watch with the shovel below. Somehow you've got the wrong idea. You think this is a junket of the oil lamp, period. All wrong. You don't know me, and that's a pity, because if you did know something about me, you'd walk carefully. When we're off this yacht, I don't say. If you want what old-timers used to call their pannikin of rum, you'll be welcome to it. But on board the Wanderer, nothing doing. Get your duffel out. I'll have a look at it. Get it out yourself, said Flint. Cunningham appeared small and boyish beside the ex-beachcomber. I'm speaking to you decently, Flint, when I ought to bash in your head. The tone was gentle and level. Why don't you try it? The expectant men thereupon witnessed a feat that was not only deadly in its precision, but oddly grotesque. Cunningham's right hand flew out with the sinister quickness of a cobra's strike, and he had Flint's brawny wrist in grip. He danced about, twisted and lurched, until he came to an abrupt stop behind Flint's back. Flint's mouth began to bend at the corners, a grimace. "'You'll break it yourself, Flint, if you move another inch,' said Cunningham nonchalantly. "'This is the gentlest trick I have in the bag. Cut out the booze until we're off this yacht. Be a good sport and play the game according to the contract. I don't like these side shows, but you wanted me to show you. Want to call it off?' Sweat began to bead Flint's forehead. He was straining every muscle in his body to minimize that inexorable turning of his elbow and shoulder. "'The stuff is in number two bunker,' he said, with a ghastly grin. "'I'll chuck it over.' "'There now,' Cunningham stepped back. "'I might have made it your neck. But I'm patient, because I want this part of the game to go through according to schedule. When I turn back this yacht, I want nothing missing but the meals I've had.' Flint rubbed his arm, scowling, and walked over to his bunk. "'Boys,' said Cunningham, "'so far you've been bricks. Shortly we'll be heading southeast on our own.' Wherever I am known, men will tell you that I never break my word. I promised you that we'd come through with clean heels. Something has happened which we could not forestall. There is a woman on board. It is not necessary to say that she is under my protection. He clumped out into the passage. Well, say, burst out the young sailor named Hennessy, I'm a tough guy, but I couldn't have turned that trick. Hey, you, if you've got any hooch in the coal bunkers, heave it over. I'm telling you. These soft-spoken guys are the kind I lay off, believe you me. I've seen all kinds, and I know. Did they kick you out of the Navy? snarled Flint. Say, are you asking me to do it? flared the Irishman. You poor boob, you'd be in the sick bay if there hadn't been a lady on board. A lady? I said a lady. Stand up, you scut. But Flint rolled into his bunk and turned his face to the partition. Cunningham leaned against the port rail. These bursts of fury always left him depressed. He was not a fighting man at all, and fate was always flinging him into physical contests. He might have killed the fool. He had been in a killing mood. He was tired. Somehow the punch was gone from the affair, the thrill. Why should that be? For years he had been planning something like this, and then to have it taste like stale wine. 
Vaguely he knew that he had made a discovery. The girl! If he were poring over his chart, his glance would drift away. If he were reading, the printed page had a peculiar way of vanishing. Of course it was all nonsense. But that night in Shanghai something had drawn him irresistibly to young Clay's table. It might have been the color of her hair. At any rate, he hadn't noticed the beads until he had spoken to young Clay. Glass beads! Queer twist! A little trinket, worthless except for sentimental reasons, throwing these lives together. Of course an oil would have lured the elder Clay across the Pacific quite as successfully. The old chap had been particularly keen for a sea voyage after having been cooped up for four years. But in the event of baiting the trap with a painting, neither the girl nor the son would have been on board, and Flint could have had his noggin without anybody disturbing him, even if the contract read otherwise law-abiding pirates how the world would chuckle if the yarn ever reached the newspapers he had clay in the hollow of his hand in fancy he saw clay placing his grievance with the british admiralty he could imagine the conversation too they returned the yacht in perfect condition yes did they steal anything cunningham could positively see clay's jowls redden as he shook his head to the query sorry you can't expect us to waste coal hunting for a scoundrel who only borrowed your yacht but what was the row between clay and his son that was a puzzler not a word they ignored each other absolutely these dinners were queer games to be sure all three men spoke to the girl but neither of the clays spoke to him or to each other a string of glass beads what about himself what had caused his exuberance to die away his enthusiasm to grow dim why a month gone he would have burst into such gales of laughter that his eyes would fill with tears at the thought of this hour and the wine tasted flat the greatest sea joke of the age and he couldn't boil up over it any more love he had burned himself out long ago but had it been love rather had it not been a series of false dawns to a weepy waily woman he would have offered the same courtesies but she would not have drawn his thoughts in any manner and this one kept entering his thoughts at all times. That would be a joke, wouldn't it? At this day to feel the scorch of genuine passion. To dig a pit for clay and to stumble into another himself. In setting this petard he hadn't got out of range quickly enough. His sense of humor was so keen that he laughed aloud with a gesture which invited the gods to join him. Jane, who had been watching the solitary figure from the corner of the deck-house, and wondering who it was, recognized the voice. The cabin had been stuffy. Her own mental confusion had driven sleep away, so she had stolen on deck for the purpose of viewing the splendors of the oriental night. The stars that seemed so near, so soft, the sea that tossed their reflections hither and yon, or spun a star magically into a silver thread and immediately rolled it up again the brilliant electric blue of the phosphorescence and the flash of flying fish or a porpoise that ought to have been home and in bed she hesitated she was puzzled she was not afraid of him the puzzle lay somewhere else she was a little afraid of herself she was afraid of anything that could not immediately be translated into ordinary terms of expression the man frankly wakened her pity he seemed as lonely as the sea itself slewfoot and somewhere a woman had laughed at him. Perhaps that had changed everything, made him what he was. She wondered if she would ever be able to return to the shell out of which the ironic humor of chance had thrust her. 
wondered if she could pick up again philosophically the threads of dull routine jane norman gliding over this mysterious southern sea a lone woman among strong and reckless men piracy pearls rugs and paintings worth a quarter of a million romance did she want it to last did she want romance all the rest of her days what was this thing within her that was striving for expression for what was she hunting what worried her and put fear into her heart was the knowledge that she did not know what she wanted from all directions came questions she could not answer was she in love if so where was the fire that should attend was it denny or yonder riddle she felt contented with denny but cunningham's presence seemed to tear into unexplored corners of her heart and brain if she were in love with denny why didn't she thrill when he approached there was only a sense of security contentment the idea of racing round the world romantically with denny struck her as absurd equally contrary to reason was the picture of herself and cunningham sitting before a wood fire what was the matter with jane norman there was one bar of light piercing the fog she knew now why she had permitted clay to abduct her to bring about a reconciliation between father and son and apparently there was as much chance as of east meeting west she walked over to the rail and joined cunningham you he said the cabin was stuffy i couldn't sleep i wonder about what if there isn't a wild streak in you that corresponds with mine you fall into the picture naturally curious and unafraid why should i be afraid and why shouldn't i be curious the greatest honor a woman ever paid me i mean that you shouldn't be afraid of me when everything should warn you to give me plenty of sea-room i know more about men than i do about women and i know too much about both there have been other women besides the one who laughed yes perhaps i was cruel enough to make them pay for that funny and yellow and faithful doll in a teacup she were but we lived on the square like a true married pair and i learned about women from her but i wonder what would have happened if it had been a woman like you instead of the one who laughed i shouldn't have laughed this damned face of mine you mustn't say that why not try to make over your soul to match it how was that done the irony was so gentle that she fell silent for a space are you going to take mr clay's paintings when you leave us my dear young lady all i have left to be proud of is my word i give it to you that i am going after pearls it may sound crazy but i can't help that i am realizing a dream i am something of a fatalist i've had to be i've always reasoned that if i could make the dream come true this dream of pearls i'd have a chance to turn over a new leaf i've had to commit acts at times that were against my nature my instincts i've had to be cruel and terrible because men would not believe a pretty man could be a strong one do you understand i have been forced to cruel deeds because men would not credit a man's heart behind a woman's face i possess tremendous nervous energy that's the principal curse i can't sit still i can't remain long anywhere i must go 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 like the wandering jew ishmael do you know what ishmael means no what god heareth have you ever asked him for anything no why should i since he gave me this withered leg please don't preach to me i won't then but i'm terribly sorry of course you are but don't become too sorry i might want to carry you off to my atoll if you took me away with you by force i'd hate you and you'd hate yourself but you won't do anything like that 
What makes you believe so? I don't know why, but I do believe it. To be trusted by a woman, a good woman. I'll tell that to the stars. What you did and how you lived before you came to this side. It was not a long story, and he nodded from time to time understandingly. Genteel poverty, a life of scrimp and pear, the cage. Romance, a flash of it, and she would return to the old life quite satisfied. Peace, a stormy interlude, then peace again indefinitely. It came to him that he wanted the respect of this young woman for always. But the malice that was ever bubbling up to his tongue and finding speech awoke. Suppose I find my pearls, and then come back for you. Romance and adventure, these warm stars always above us at night, the brilliant days, the voyages from isle to isle, palms and gay parakeets, coconuts and mangosteens, and let the world go hang. She did not reply, but she moved a little away. He waited for a minute, then laughed softly. My dear young lady, this is the interlude you've always been longing for. Fate has popped you out of the normal for a few days, and presently she'll pop you back into it. Some day you'll marry and have children. You'll sink into the rut of monotony again and not be conscious of it. On winter nights before the fire, when the children have been put to bed, your man buried behind his evening paper, you will recall Slewfoot and the interlude and be happy over it. You'll hug and cuddle it to your heart secretly. A poignant craving in your life had been satisfied. Kidnapped by pirates under oriental stars. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, yo-ho, and a bottle of rum. A glorious adventure with three meals the day and grand opera on the phonograph. Shades of Gilbert and Sullivan. And you will always be wondering whether the pirate made love to you in jest or in earnest. And he'll always be wondering, too. Cunningham turned away abruptly and clumped toward the bridge-ladder, which he mounted. For some inexplicable reason her heart became filled with wild resentment against him. Mocking her when she had only offered him kindness, she clung to the idea of mockery because it was the only tangible thing she could pluck from her confusion. Thus, when she began the descent of the companionway and ran into Dennison coming up, her mood was not receptive to reproaches. "'Where have you been?' he demanded. "'Watching the stars in the phosphorescence. I could not sleep.' "'Alone?' "'No. Mr. Cunningham was with me.' "'I warned you to keep away from that scoundrel.' "'How dare you use that tone to me! Have you any right to tell me what I shall and shall not do?' she stormed at him. "'I've got to talk to someone. You go about in one perpetual gloom. I propose to see and talk to Cunningham as often as I please. At least he amuses me.' With this she rushed past him and on to her cabin, the door of which she closed with such emphasis that it was heard all over the yacht, so sharp was the report that both Clay and Dodge awoke and sat up, half convinced that they had heard a pistol-shot. Jane sat down on her bed, still furious. After a while she was able to understand something of this fury. The world was upside down, wrong end, too. Dennison, not Cunningham, should have acted the debonair, the nonchalant. Before this adventure began, he had been witty, amusing, companionable. Now he was as interesting as a bump on a log. At table he was only a poor counterfeit of his father, whose silence was maintained admirably at all times, impressively dignified. Whereas at each encounter Dennison played directly into Cunningham's hands, and the latter was too much the banterer not to make the most of these episodes. What if he was worried? Hadn't she more cause to worry than any one else? For all that, she did not purpose to hide behind the barricaded door of her cabin. If there was a tragedy in the offing, it would not fall less heavily because one approached it with melancholy countenance. 
Heaven knew that she was no infant as regarded men. In the six years of hospital work she had come into contact with all sorts and conditions of men. Cunningham might be the greatest scoundrel unhung, but so far as she was concerned she need have no fear. This knowledge was instinctive. But when her cheek touched the pillow, she began to cry softly. She was so terribly lonely. End of chapter 17 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California, shaggybark.blogspot.com.